do in us as we faithfully live out our calling. Um, 2020 was the adventure. Uh, in 2021, the theme is maturity. We want to mature in our faith. I think God is calling us as a church to mature in our faith to become deeper, to become more rooted, to take our faith more seriously, to take it to the next level, maturity. And that's what this entire year is going to be based upon. We started, we decided to start this year with a series on marriage. The reason is, I don't know if you all know this or not. I, I Maybe only pastors know this because we're right in the front lines of it. But I felt like an EMT the last three months um, dealing with uh, uh, depression, deal with anxiety, with, with divorces, with, with all types of family issues, all types of things. I feel like I'm just running from one thing to the next the last three months, okay? And so um, when, when we are, uh, when we looked at this, we needed, we just basically said, look, we need to shore up the marriages because the divorce rate has spiked in America because of the lockdowns, because of stress, because of uh, everything. According to research, people looking for divorces, searching out divorces online, searches jumped 34% over 2019. 31% of couples admitted that lockdowns had caused irreparable harm to their marriages. It's not, in other words, it's over, it's done, this cannot be repaired. And interestingly enough, newlyweds were the ones that were most hard hit. 20% of those seeking divorces had been married five months or less. So it is, it is amazing that uh, uh, the, the people we think are living in wedded bliss uh, are the ones that are falling apart the quickest because their relationship has not time, had time to mature. And so we're starting off this year shoring up the marriages in not only our church but in our community because this is essential. We have to have strong marriages. And if you are struggling today, online, here, I want you to know that there is a way out. There is hope. There is a way out of the issues. And it's not divorce. It's not throwing in the towel. There is a way to succeed, not just to survive, but to thrive. And we're going to lay that out in this series. Um, I want everyone, the, the, the title of this sermon is 12 words that will change your marriage immediately, okay? And the main thing today is this, in your anger, do not sin. Everyone say the main thing with me, in your anger, do not sin. One more time, in your anger, do not sin. Okay, James 1.19 has 12 words. I, I've, I've said it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Those are the 12 words that will change your marriage, that will change your life if you put them into practice, 12 words. The whole verse, the whole passage says this, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Amen to that. It does not. Um, Ephesians 4.26, Paul writes this. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Okay, so the way that Paul puts this is it's, it's almost like anger, human anger, is a cesspool in our hearts and in our homes that feeds Satan. Feeds Satan, all right? It's, it says it seems to imply here that anger 
is a hiding place for the devil, a hiding place for Satan in your life, a hiding place for Satan in your home. All right? That, that's what it seems to be. Like, it's like having a yard where puddles gather in the summertime. Those of you that, that are in Kentucky and, and joining us from around the nation, um, puddles in the summertime mean mosquitoes, right? And in my particular backyard, they're monstrous. I, they like me more than anybody else. I will be sitting outside. I will get 20 mosquito bites, and no one else in my family will get any others. So I'm particularly keen to this. Um, it, 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 whenever you see a puddle in the summertime, you know that mosquitoes aren't far behind. Anger is like that. It's the place where Satan spawns, for lack of a better term. Okay? Um, anger is like the place where Satan can invade your home, your life. It's like his food source. Anyone ever had a roach problem in their house? Yeah. Um, my junior year in college, we had a roach problem. I, I, I take that back. We didn't have a roach problem. We had a food problem. My roommate had a food problem. He would leave food sitting out. Uh, he loved ramen noodles. There's always a, a, a thing of ramen noodles. Well, he would eat like three-fourths of them and leave, the, leave them sitting there. He would order pizza and eat, you know, leave the pizza crust sitting there on his desk, on his bed. Wasn't the, wasn't the most hygienic of people. Um, he, he'd eat, you know, candy bars, half-eaten, you know, everything all over the room. Well, one night, this is bad, y'all. This is bad. I woke up, and I knew something was wrong. You kind of wake up, and you know that something's wrong. And I felt something on my face. There was a roach on my face. And I, you know, I, I hit it and knocked it all the way across the room. There's another one sitting on my pillow looking at me. And I thought to myself, okay, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. And it was February. And it was cold. But I got my pillow and my comforter, and I went out and I slept in my truck, my standard cab, not even a, it wasn't even a, a, like a car, it was a standard cab, Ford Ranger, I slept out there because I was being invaded. And the next day, you guys, my roommate and I had a reckoning. We eliminated the food source. We didn't have a roach problem after that. You guys, anger is like that. Paul says, he says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't give the devil a foothold. That's what the word of God says, okay? Wherever Satan finds anger, that's where he will go and multiply. Imagine the roach. Your anger is like food being left out. And you know when food is left out, ants and roaches aren't far behind. The same thing is true of your anger in your home, in your life. Wherever that puddles, whenever it groups, whenever it stays, that is where Satan will spawn. He feeds off of it, is what Paul is saying here. So let's take an inventory. Let's just start personally, because not, not everyone in here and online is married, okay? Not everyone is, but everyone is susceptible to this. So let's take a, a stock. Is there, is there a puddle? Is there anger built up in here in your life that is allowing Satan a foothold? Maybe he's having his heyday in your home right now or in your life. 
Okay, that's what Paul is saying. You eliminate the sin that accompanies anger. You don't feed Satan. You don't give him a foothold in your home. And you don't give him a foothold in your marriage and in your life. I want everyone just to pause and have some self-reflection right now. Does Satan have a food source in your life, in your home? If so, you won't have a marriage for long. You won't have a home for long. The more you feed Satan, the stronger he will be in your marriage, in your life, and in your home. See, the Bible tells us something. It says, in your anger, do not sin. See, the Bible does something brilliant here. I love this. I hope that you guys catch this. See, all over America and pop culture right now, we can't handle anger. You know that we can't, you know why? You know why we can't handle anger? Because we have an entire school of thought saying that whatever you do in anger is okay. The whole movement, the whole school of thought is called triggering. Have you heard of this? This is what happens when you are triggered. So, so what happens is if you believe in triggering, which I don't, I don't, but there are people that do, this is what happens when you are triggered. You, beca- you become the victim. You become a person who is no longer responsible for his or her actions. That's what, when you're triggered, all of a sudden, all bets are off. And it is the other person's fault because what you do, if I am triggered, let's say that I bought into the pop culture, pop psychology and everything like that about triggering. If I am triggered, I can punch you in the face. After all, it's your fault. You triggered me. I can curse. I can swear. I can be whatever I want to be. All bets are off. All self-control is off because I'm triggered. And I can feel self-righteous and moral and not having any type of conviction on my soul because after all, you triggered me. That's what's going on in our world right now. The Bible tells us something completely different. He said, the Bible says this. The Bible says that anger is simply a part of life and it is up to you to respond appropriately. It says in your anger, do not sin. A Christian should never use the words, I'm triggered, to justify his or her actions. Never. Because we are not under control of outside circumstances. We are under control of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Christians should never use, I'm triggered, as justification for actions. Trigger movement says, in your anger, it's okay to sin. It's not your fault. Well, the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. So in your anger, church, do not sin. Sin. Anger is a part of life. It's just an emotion. But what we do with it is completely under our control. So the first thing that happens, first thing in, in anger, do not sin, we see uh, it, it, no violence. Violence is the first one. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, husbands and wives, people in homes, it, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see that? What if husbands and wives, kids, what if your parents did that? What if your homes were free of bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, and instead they were kind and compassionate to one another. What would your home be like? What would your home be like? See, I can't believe this even needs to be said in a church. I can't believe it even needs to be said in church. But it has to. Violence is a sin. Sin, especially in marriage. 
And this isn't just for the men. Ladies, this is for you as well. There are more men than you think that are victims of domestic violence. Neither of you should become violent in your anger. That's not just physical, that's emotional, that's verbal. If you are constantly attacking your spouse, constantly insulting, constantly pointing out what is wrong, constantly trying to gaslight them, getting them to to question their motives, you you, you are enacting violence. That is a sin. Okay, classic abusers, I want you guys to be on the lookout for this. I was a psych major in college. We studied a lot of this, this, the psychology of abuse. And it goes something like this. The classic abuser line, and many, many of you have experienced this, is this. It's, 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 it's a tactic that is being used in contemporary society today. It's being used more and more on social media, and it's becoming mainstream. Like I said, I don't know if it has a name, but I call it the bully to victim switch. What it looks like is this. I saw it in the riots this summer. I saw lots of video of this this summer. I saw a video of a lady screaming in a cop's face. I mean, she was an inch away from his face, yelling at him, pointing, putting her nose, cursing him and calling me every kind of name. And then she spit in his face. Well, the cop grabbed her, took her down to the ground. The second she hit the ground, she started crying and started yelling, police brutality, police brutality. She went from bully to victim like that. That's a classic abuser strategy that I want all of you to be on the lookout for, not only in the people around you, but in yourself. This is how abusers work. It doesn't have to be physical. An abuser will push and provoke and insult and goad and nag. And then when you have finally had it, and you respond, they become the victim. How could you say those things to me? It's because of you that I'm acting this way. Don't you see what you're forcing me to do? Classic abuser line. Go from bully to victim. It has no place in a Christian marriage. That is used to control people, not to love people. Okay? It's an effective tactic. Because it's like a one-two punch. The bully punches with the left. And then when the victim puts, gets defensive, swings in with the right, saying, how dare you defend yourself? Making the victim feel guilty for responding or, or, or feeling attacked. It's a classic abuser line. And it's very effective because it disarms the victim and doesn't allow the victim to respond. It's the way abusers control people. In your anger... Do not sin. Do not play the bully to victim card. If you are doing that right now in your home, I tell you in the name of Jesus to repent and stop because you are sinning against your spouse. Men and women, husbands and wives, if you use this tactic, you're sinning. You're an abuser and I'm calling you to repent. It doesn't have to be physical. It can be mental as well. And if you are the victim of abuse, whether it is physical or verbal or emotional, you need to go to the police right now. And come and come to my office, I'll take you down there. You are under no obligation to live in an abusive home. None. That is not what God has for you. That is not what Jesus has for you. Okay? And you need to remove yourself and your children from the hand of an abuser. You have to. 
And whether or not that person changes or repents is up to them, but at, you are under no obligation to do that. You heard it from me. And if that is not the word of God, I will take responsibility for it on my judgment day. But my plan for you all is not to be beaten and beaten down and abused because I love you all too much. And, you, and if God tells you that's wrong, say, Pastor Dave told me to do it, and I'll take the responsibility on my shoulders. Okay? In your anger, people, do not sin. I have been married almost 25 years, and I can tell you there's not one time in 25 years that I felt need the necessity to become violent with my wife. I have never seen a situation that requires that. The only person that requires that is someone who is immature. All right? Second thing, in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't have sin. Sin doesn't have to be violent or yelling or anything like this. It can be a withdrawal and shutting down. I constantly have wives come and tell me that when, when, when I want to bring something up, he just withdraws from me, shuts down. And we never solve any problems. We never get anywhere. He just withdraws, he just shuts down, he stonewalls me. Sin doesn't always look like abuse. And this withdrawal and shutting down of communication starts a vicious cycle in marriage that where people begin to grow apart most marriage researchers will tell you that marriages don't end with a, a, an explosion. Most end with a whimper, with couples withdrawing from each other and pulling apart simply because someone doesn't want to talk, doesn't want to discuss, doesn't want to work through things. And if that tactic is causing the dissolution of your marriage, then that is a sin. Husbands and wives engage with each other in the name of Jesus according to Jesus's ways of treating each other withdraw or shut down in your anger do not sin the third thing that i see in marriages uh, when when you're angry is payback just because you don't have to you don't have to necessarily withdraw shut down you don't have to become violent you just pay them back you do to them as they did to you you do to them as you thought they did to you and pay them back well, that starts a vicious cycle as well, known as the arguing cycle. Well, you talk to me, you yelled at me, and I'm going to yell at you. Well, you yelled at me, and I'm going to yell at you. Well, you yelled at me. Well, you raised your hand to me, I'm going to raise my hand to you. You see how this escalates? How many of you all have ever actually paid someone back? It doesn't work, does it? All it does is escalate. And if marriages as husbands and wives are trying to get each other back, Marriage isn't going to be around very long. I was told one thing by a very, very wise man the day that I got married, my wedding day. He said this. He said, listen, if you win in marriage, you lose. He said, nobody wins. You shouldn't be pushing to win. Don't ever try to win an argument. Don't ever try to win your way because if you do, you lost. He said, instead, love, try to win. In marriage, if you win, you lose. That's some very, very good advice. The fourth thing in your anger, do not sin, is ignoring. This is different than withdrawing and shutting down. This is flat out ignoring the concerns and, 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 and everything of your spouse. If you ignore your spouse, do not be surprised that they'll find someone else to listen to them. 
If you ignore, if you ignore needs, if you ignore concerns, these kind of things, just push them under the carpet and uh, they'll take care of themselves. No, they won't. I want you to think of your marriage as a car. How many times when the car, a tire goes flat, it fixes itself? No. When, when, your, when, when your oil is leaking, does it fix itself? No. If the radio's out, does it fix itself? No. If you put a dent in the car, does it fix itself? No, it doesn't. Anybody who knows anything about cars knows that when something starts to go wrong, if you ignore it, it gets worse and worse and worse. The same is true of marriage. If there's, a, if there's an issue and there's anger, if you ignore it, it is only going to grow. Remember what happens in marriages with anger. Satan comes in and he spawns and he multiplies and he begins to do his dirty work. Wrecking your marriage in your anger, do not sin. Ephesians 4.29 says this, the Bible gives us a different Vision. The title of this series is The Countercultural Marriage. What we just described is what I've seen in marriages. They're not to be this way in the church. Instead, Ephesians 4.29 gives us a different vision for marriage, for our homes, for our lives. Listen to this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I want everyone to stop right there. The word of God is a mirror, you all, that we look at ourselves into. And I want you to look at yourself into this mirror, this verse. I want to ask some questions. Let's just go through this verse. Has any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth towards your spouse, kids towards your parents, parents towards your children this week? Just this week. Not, not the whole, just just. Just this week. Has what has come out of your mouth been helpful for building them up? And kids, I'm talking about you with your parents too. You're not the hook on this. According to the needs, and what has, what has come out of your mouth, you all, benefited those who listened? See, this is the vision that God has for Christian homes. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up that it may benefit those who listen. How many of you all, if that was the test to get into heaven, we'd fail just this week? I'm not talking the course of life, just this week. Well, this is the conviction point. This is where we change. This is where God, God lays out the vision, and this is where we go. Okay, instead of in your anger sinning, do Ephesians four twenty nine. When I was a youth minister, we had a we had a camp, and we came up with this thing called four twenty nine. Out of Ephesians four twenty nine, if someone was complaining or whining, we could four twenty nine them. We could go up to somebody, somebody's whining, complaining about this. We go Ephesians four twenty nine. They'd have to shut up. It was great. Maybe we need to start doing that in our homes. Maybe you need to start four twenty nine in your spouse. You know, they're, 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 they're complaining about this or some unwholesome talks coming out of their mouth about work or, or anything like you go, Ephesians 4.29, and they have to change. Maybe we do it with our kids. Parents, start 4.29 in your kids. Kids, start 4.29 in your parents. They need it. Believe me, they do. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The Bible gives us a different vision for marriage. 
Second thing, point number two, 12 words. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. These 12 words, okay? I want, I want to take those four things, those four things, and, and I, want to, I want to put them into James 1.19. Everyone, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become violent. Everyone, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to withdraw or shut down. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to pay back. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to ignore. Personalize it. See, guys, what I found as a husband, as a very imperfect husband, as a man, I don't listen very well. And, and it's not because I don't want to hear, but I, I don't listen to hear. I listen to respond. The entire time that my wife is talking, I'm formulating my response. I'm not listening to what she says. And instead of being quick to listen, like the Bible says, slow to speak, I'm the opposite. I'm slow to listen, and I'm quick to speak. And every time that I have gotten this scripture wrong, it has been devastating. It has been terrible. You think after 25, almost 25 years of marriage, I would get this right, and I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. Thank God for his grace. Amen? Thank you, God, for my wife's grace. But getting this wrong, you guys, will destroy your marriage. But getting it right will bless it. The countercultural marriage is what God calls us to. Not where we're listening simply to respond, waiting for her to stop so I can, I can put in my stuff. No, 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 no. I need to listen, and I need to think, and I may need a day before I respond. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I want to see a show of hands. Those of you all that are, uh, we'll give teenagers a pass, all right? Anyone who is 20 years older and up, you've lived long enough to really screw things up. See, teenagers haven't lived long enough to really screw things up. We have, amen, parents? All right, how many of you all have done or said something in anger where you spoke or acted quickly that you have come to regret? If you're a teenager, I want, keep your hands up. If you're a teenager, I want you to look around. Just look around. People that are 20 years older, years old and older, what would you like to tell your younger self? How many things do you really wish you hadn't said? How many things, if you, if you really, if you, if you could go back and talk to your teenage self or your 20-year-old self and say, I wish you wouldn't have said this. I wish you wouldn't have talked to her that way. I wish you wouldn't have talked to him that way. I wish that I knew James 1.19, I wish I would have been quick to listen. I wish I would have been slow to speak because I royally screwed things up. You all, just because that was our past doesn't mean that needs to be our future. Just because that's the way our marriage has gone doesn't mean that from this point forward it can't be different. Just because that's the way our life has been doesn't mean that after church today it can't be different. God has given us a vision 
of how we're supposed to act towards each other. Let's do it. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And instead, number three, become a spirit, Holy Spirit-led home. Become a Holy Spirit-led home. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, we talk about it almost every Sunday, and we will continue because this is it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We, our goal, Christians, is that we lead homes that are led by the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit is, these things are present. You want to know if you're, you're living in a Holy Spirit-led home? You want to know? Is there love? Is there joy? Is there peace? Is there patience? Is there kindness? Is there goodness? Is there, is there faithfulness? Is there gentleness? Is there self-control? If those things are in your home, then your home is being led by the Holy Spirit of God. And if those things are absent, guess what? He isn't there. What I want you guys to ask, how do I love, how do I live out the command of God in my home, in my marriage? How do I live this out? How do I bring the Holy Spirit into my home so that he can produce love and joy and peace, patience, and all the other things? The first thing you have to do is you have to invite him in. You have to invite him in. You have to pray, Holy Spirit of God, invade my home. I want my home to be under control of the Holy Spirit of God. I want my home to be a place where the Holy Spirit of God has free reign, where he will begin to produce this fruit in my home. I want you guys to do that. You start with your life and you move it on. And, and, and here's the thing, adults, adults, you, you, I want you to say, how can I, as an adult in the room, facilitate the Holy Spirit of God in these things. And I want you children, as a son or daughter in the home, how can I facilitate these things in my home? All right, become a Holy Spirit-led home. A Holy Spirit-led home, you guys, is built on trust and wisdom. It's not based on anger and emotion and reaction. It is built on trust and wisdom. Um, I, I have really thought a lot about trust recently. If y'all want to know why our homes are the way they are, why our nation is the way it is, it's because there is no trust. Trust is the foundation of everything. You cannot have a marriage without trust. You cannot have a church Without trust, you cannot have a nation without trust. We cannot have law and order without trust. You want to know why people react to you the way they react to you is because they either have a good amount of trust or a small amount of trust in you. That's why. So the, the Christian home must be about building trust because the Christian home is built on trust. Trust in God, trust in each other. I wrote, this, I wrote on my Facebook page this, this week, if you want to go back and see it, I wrote about trust and how there is very little hope for any organization without trust. If the people in this church don't trust the pastors and the elders and the pastors and the elders don't trust the people, we're not going to have a church for long. If husband and wife don't trust each other, they don't trust that they are where they say they're going to be with who they say they're going to be. The marriage is going to fall apart. And in our nation, 
If left and right don't trust each other, if people in government don't trust each other, the nation's going to fall apart. There's no foundation. And that may be what God is revealing to us in 2021, the fact that we must become people that are trustworthy. There's not much I can do about government. There's not much I can do about what goes on in Washington, D.C. There's really not. Neither can you. But you can be a person that is trustworthy, a person that can be trusted, a person whose word is good, a person who is consistent day in and day out, a person who is where they say they're going to be, and they do what they say they're going to do, because that, you all, is how you build a marriage. That's how you build a marriage, on trust. Now, the problem is, is that trust is very slowly gained and very quickly lost. The adults in the room will tell you that you can destroy in one instant everything you have spent your life building. Sometimes, many times, trust doesn't come back, so never violate a trust. Maybe that's the word for the, the Holy Spirit has for us today. Become people that are trustworthy, that can be counted on where there's trust in your home. Because when there's trust in your home, then you will have a Holy Spirit-led home. I want to invite the band to come on up. There's no doubt that we're in a culture war right now. I, there's no doubt we can... We can bury our head in the sand and say, no, it's not happening. Of course it's happening. There are, there are forces in our country that are against the Christian faith. There's no doubt about that. It's always been that way. Always been that way. Seems like they, they're very loud. Well, I've heard a lot of uh, people talk about how to win a culture war. I've heard about how to fight a culture war, all these kinds of things. And none of them will work. But this one will. This one, you want to know how to fight a culture war? You want to know how to win a culture war? I'll tell you. How about we increase the number of Holy Spirit-led homes? How about we solidify marriages within our churches? How about we love each other, husbands and wives, and we have intact homes, and we have children that come from those, and we disciple our children, and we turn out as many children as we can into the world to be influencers? How about that? That's how you win a culture war, not by storming the capital or by becoming a, an online warrior a facebook warrior that doesn't work how about we get the work done in our homes how about husbands and wives we turn our hearts towards each other how about we have solid homes where we where we can disciple our children and our children will, won't leave the faith and will continue uh they'll, they'll they will continue the faith on that's how you win i said i wrote this how about we take seriously the command to disciple our children so that our children don't leave the faith. How about we have a bunch of kids coming from home, Holy Spirit-led homes who've been discipled by their parents and go into the world to be influencers? That's how you do it. But it starts in our own homes, you guys. It starts in our own homes. So while we can criticize everything that's going on out there, and I see a lot of that, how about we simply look at ourselves and say, am I a Holy Spirit-led man or woman? Am I a Holy Spirit-led spouse? Am I a Holy Spirit-led son or daughter? And am I the kind of person that is trustworthy? Uh, why don't we get it done in our own homes? And that's how you win a culture war. That's how you win the world for Christ. It starts 
in our homes. In your anger, church, do not sin. Do not give the devil a foothold. Homework time. When you leave here, I want you to go back to your home and I want you to think seriously about the places in your heart or in your home where Satan has a foothold. And do what I did and my roommate did. Get rid of the food, guys. Get rid of the food. The cockroaches scatter. Get rid of the anger. Satan will flee. Amen?
bunch of healthy churches make a healthy body of Christ. That's what we have to be. So if, if your body is sick, you go to the doctor. If your church is sick, you go to the great physician. We submit ourselves to him and allow him to heal us. So if there's anything sick in this church, any unconfessed sin, any toxic line of thinking, any, anything that's going to destroy us, we need to take care of it. If it's a divisive person, they need to leave. I don't negotiate with cancer cells. I want them out. Divisive person, I want them out. We want every type of sinner, every type of addict, every type of broken person in here, but if there's a person that's going to destroy this church, we want them out. We've got to stay healthy, plain and simple. And unfortunately, there have been divisive people that we've had to tell to leave for the good of the body. Okay? Now, we're never going to tell someone that is repentant, someone that is broken, someone that is seeking God, we don't want you. We will never say that. We will, we will tell someone who's trying to break up families or cause division or this kind of thing, we will tell them to leave. That's the only person we'll ever tell to leave because we have to stay healthy. Okay? We have to stay healthy as a church. That's what spiritually mature churches do. And one of the greatest ways is that we guard our Sunday mornings. Those of you that are new, we have a saying around here. It's called Sunday is for worship only. All right? Everybody say it with me. Sunday is for worship only. There are two things that we will deal with on a Sunday morning that do not deal with worship. One is if the building's on fire. We will deal with that, okay? Second, if someone is being murdered out in the parking lot, we'll take care of that too. Other than that, we will do nothing on Sunday mornings except worship. This is not the time to hash it out with somebody that you got into a, an argument with last week. This is not the time to tell the pastor that they don't, you don't like what happened on the youth retreat. This is not the time to say, uh, it, 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 you know, I, I didn't like what you preached last week. There's Monday through Saturday for that, okay? Monday through Saturday. And we've instructed all our leaders, all our elders, to guard our Sunday mornings. We are guarding like the apple of our eye our Sunday morning time. When you come here, you should have nothing on your mind but worship. Nothing but worship. We get one hour a week together, y'all. Let's not spend it doing anything except worship. If you have a problem or something, church is open Monday through Friday. Come talk. Don't bring it to Sunday morning. Don't bring it to Sunday morning. We must be spiritually healthy as a church. And it seems like a no-brainer, but you'd be amazed how many churches, how many churches Sunday morning is a drama fest, a gossip fest, that everything in the world happens except worship. Sunday is for worship only. Guard our Sunday mornings and stay spiritually healthy, spiritually mature. I want to invite the band to come on up. We don't want to be as a church a mile wide and an inch deep. We do not want to be that. We as a church, as people, as community groups, as leaders, as elders, as normal folks, need to desire maturity. Maturity. Not flying from thing to thing, not easily upset or afraid, but knowing our mission, 
knowing what we're here for, knowing what we're, what we're called to do, committed to producing fruit of the Spirit in each and every person, to greater and greater degrees, committed to making disciples and winning the lost. That's what we're here for. If you're here for anything else, it's in the church for you. That's what we're here to do. Standing upon the rock of Jesus Christ, trusting in him, the salvation is found in him, in him alone, standing against culture that says the opposite, that salvation is found only in Christ Jesus. He's the only way to heaven, and we make no apologies for that. Christ is the Savior of the world, and hope is found in him, and him alone. That is what we're about. There's no other path, no other way for people to be saved. And it is our job, church, to be the conveyors of that truth to this world that so desperately needs that truth. So that is what we're going to be doing in 2021. We're going to be moving forward into maturity, growing deeper as people and as a church as we win the lost. Pray with me. Heavenly Fathers, we uh, look forward to...